You are listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church in Louise, Texas. Thank you for listening. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, please. If you're this is your first time with us, I want to welcome you. We are uh, moving through the book of John. I've been preaching through the book of John since the beginning of the year. This week we're going to close out chapter 6 of the book of John. Um, so the summer of 2006 was an amazing summer for me. It was a summer that Corey and I got married, right, on Father's Day weekend. But more importantly than that, it was a summer that the Dallas Mavericks made it to the NBA playoffs. They made it to the finals that year. And to be honest with you, I don't care much about basketball. Basketball is not a sport that I've ever cared much more much about. But you better believe that I was watching the Dallas Mavericks, the Miami Heat, battle it out on my honeymoon. She, she, Corey's like, yeah, he was. I would, I, we would make sure we were at home in time for the basketball game. It was both fr- franchises' first time getting into the NBA Finals. And I wasn't the only one that was watching it. In fact, we lived in Dallas-Fort Worth at the time, and I saw so many Dallas Mavericks journey, jerseys that it just overwhelmed me. Everybody was wearing them during that summer. Everyone and their mother had those jerseys on, and they were cheering on the Mavericks. Then on June 20th, 2006, the Dallas Mavericks lost the game. They lost game six of the finals, and they were the Miami Heat won. And that was a bummer. But it was only a bummer for me for about 24 hours because I don't really care about basketball. I don't really care about the Dallas Mavericks. I didn't care if they won or if they lost, but I was invested for a little while. There's a term that we have for this kind of sports fan. In fact, there's a few terms we have, but we're in church, so we're only going to use a few of them, okay? They're either called fairweather fans, right, or bandwagon fans, right? These are bandwagon fans who jump on the bandwagon because a team is winning, right? We can call them wannabe fan if you want. These type of fans aren't actually committed to the team. They're only committing, committed to winning, right? That's the, these type of fans. And here's a connection with this morning's text. There are some of those who say that they follow Jesus, but they aren't actually committed to him. They want the things from God, but they don't want God himself. They will follow Jesus until things get hard or inconvenient, and they will abandon him. And this morning we are going to see the difference between a true disciple and just a bandwagon follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Um, to preach your beautiful scriptures. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here who's a bandwagon follower of Jesus or a, a wannabe disciple, Lord, that you would change them from a wannabe or a bandwagon disciple to a true disciple, that you would work on their hearts, that you would transform them, that you would take them from being dead to being alive, Lord, that we would truly trust you, that we would commit to following you anywhere, no matter what the cost. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, starting in verse 60, it says this, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there were some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew 
from the beginning those who he did not or who did not believe and the one who would betray him he he said this is why i told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the father from that moment many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him so these disciples that we see in this first section are what we would call false disciples. This is just a, a quick recap of what we've seen. So Jesus, Jesus had just recently fed a multitude of people. He was then followed around by this crowd, and they were asking him to do more. He starts teaching them. He starts laying down the truth that he is more concerned with saving their souls than he is with feeding their, their bellies. Jesus fed them with bread but then started teaching them the truth about himself, that he was going to die, and that his followers would have to be able to partake in the same kind of self-mortification if they wanted to follow him. And those following him said, after his teaching, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And this word hard does not mean difficult to understand. They understood what he was saying. Rather, it means harsh or offensive. What Jesus is teaching is offensive. To them, Jesus' teaching was giving offense to their hearts and to their ears. Following Jesus wasn't going to be all sunshine and rainbows and delicious bread. There was a cost to following him. And they didn't want to count the cost. So then what was it that they actually wanted from Jesus? What was it that they wanted from Jesus rather than just having Jesus himself? From the previous section, we see that, one, they wanted to be fed by him. They wanted bread. In John 6, 26, Jesus told them, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And you want more of that. John 6, 6, 14 and 15, they wanted him to be king. They wanted to gather him and make him king over them so he could free them from Rome. They wanted him to also do more miracles. John 6, 30 and 31, they said, I want you to perform more miracles to prove to me who you are. They liked Jesus as an option. But Jesus says, I'm not an option. I am the only option. And they thought that his teaching was too harsh. You see, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts and he heard their complaints. Just like the Jews who opposed Jesus earlier in the chapter. When he was in the synagogue, those disciples grumbled about what Jesus was saying. They didn't like what he was saying. And naturally, as Jesus does, he asked them if they are offended by his statements. What was so offensive about his statements? Well, most likely he ended that last section that we talked about last week with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that sounds a little harsh. And they're like, I don't know about that. But also the fact that he came down from heaven. He asked them, do you want to see the Son of Man ascend to the place where he was before? When he's talking about ascending, he had to have descended from somewhere. So he came down from heaven and they're like, there's no one who comes down from heaven except for God himself. He's saying, I am God himself. Jesus was going to have to ascend back to heaven. But in order to ascend back into heaven, he was going to have to descend to the grave. He was going to have to die. He was going to have to sacrifice himself. He was going to have to submit in humility and obedience to death, even that death on a cross. And here's what's hard and offensive for them. As Jesus' disciples, they would have had to do the same thing. They would have had to do the same thing. The Gospel of John is very keen on this point. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be his disciples, you have to live like him. You have to follow him where he goes. 
And he always leads us to a place of humility and obedience and death, dying to self, laying aside our desires and our wants for his desires and his wants. And this kind of discipleship and this desire to follow Jesus where he may go is the only way that we can be in relationship with God. You can only have true desire, though, if it comes from the Spirit of God. He says this in verses 63 through 65 of John 6. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Here's the thing, the Spirit is the one that makes us alive. The Spirit is the one who transforms us. The Spirit is the one who gives us the, the desire to follow Jesus. We can't do it in the flesh. And sadly, there are many people who try to. There are many people who try to play Christian. They pretend. They try to do it in their own power. And when you try to do it in your own power, it ends in absolute disaster. It ends in heartache. It ends in hatred and disdain for God and for his people. Being a follower of Jesus isn't one of the things that you can fake it till you make it. It's a heart transformation. Not everyone who calls themselves Christian is actually a Christian. Not everyone in this crowd that says that they're a disciple of Jesus is actually a true disciple of Jesus. Jesus even warned us of this truth back in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read this for you. It's a parable of the sower, if you've not read it before, but it's, it's important for us to understand. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, it says this, On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him, and he got into a boat and sat down, while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seeds fell on the good ground, and they produced fruit, some 100, or some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And in case you didn't understand what that parable meant, Jesus goes on to tell us in verses 18 through 23 the meaning of the parable. And he says this, So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this, one who, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but, worries the, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what is sowed. One of the things about this parable and about what John is telling us is that you can follow Jesus, but you cannot follow Jesus without being absolutely committed to him. What I mean is that you can like the idea of Jesus. You can like the teaching of Jesus. You can like the moral stance of Jesus, but not like Jesus for who he is. 
You can like the fact of avoiding hell, but not actually love the God who will save you. And this happens in some Christianity sects today. Like the progressive Christians that, that, that's infiltrating our church, they reject the fundamental teachings of Jesus. They reject the Bible because some of the things make them uncomfortable. That Jesus' teachings on sexuality and sin and hell and exclusivity sound harsh to their ears. It's offensive to their ears. And I want you to know that I'm not trying to make them the enemy. I, instead, I want us to look at them with a heart that sees them and desires for them to come to the gospel. That they don't reject Jesus, but they embrace who he is. And sometimes it's the same with us who are not progressive. We would consider ourselves conservative. We get so concerned with the things of the flesh, the things that don't have life at all, the things that don't help at all, and we make those things important. For the progressives, they abandon orthodoxy or the right teaching of Jesus. For conservatives, we make extra rules. We make extra standards that don't align with what God teaches us. We don't become progressive, we become legalist. Both of these run counter to the gospel. They run counter to Jesus' teachings. The base, they, we base belief on what we want to believe and not what Jesus has actually told us. Here's a couple of real-life examples that are happening and have happened. I'll take one from the progressive camp, and I'm going to take one from the conservative camp as well. I don't know if many of you are, are aware, but the United Methodist Church is about to go, undergo a pretty big split. And they're going to undergo a pretty big split because the leadership of the United Methodist Church has now stated that they are going to start affirming and ordaining LGBTQ people as pastors and ministers. And there are some within the church who are okay with that, and there are some who are going to leave that church because they've gone progressive. This is what happens when you abandon the word of God for the sake of culture. Just a couple of weeks ago here in Louise, there was a tent revival by a conservative group of people. And so I went to the tent revival one night. And let me tell you, it was interesting. I wanted to hear and see what it was all about. And at the end of the night, the pastor got up and he started preaching a works-based gospel. Here's what he said. And I wrote it down just so I would, I would remember. The most important decision that you have to make on earth is if you will get to heaven and avoid hell. And if all you have to do to get into heaven is read your Bible an hour a day, pray an hour a day, and dress appropriately, then there is nothing that is going to keep me out of heaven. Did you hear that? That's not the gospel. That's not right belief. That's not trusting in Jesus for their salvation. That's trusting in your own ability for your salvation. And the crowd there at the meeting, they ate that up. Now hear me out. Reading your Bible is good. Praying is good. Dressing modestly is good. But none of those things are going to save you. None of those things are going to get you into heaven. Are either of these groups, whether the progressive or the legalist, true disciples of Jesus? Well, if they are more concerned with the culture and legalism than they are with Jesus, I would have to say no. I don't know where their hearts are but they aren't living in the Spirit if they believe that they can manipulate the Word of God to suit their own needs. They're trying to become alive in the flesh, and Jesus tells us that it's worthless to do that. It doesn't help. So what's the remedy to fight against the progressive Christians and legalism? Jesus tells us, the words that I have spoken 
our spirit and life. We have to listen to Jesus. We have to follow Jesus, like, like truly follow him. Not when it's convenient, not when we want to, not solely on Sunday mornings. Our lives are to be devoted to him. He is to be the most important thing, the most important person in our lives. Enough so that we are willing to lose everything to listen and obey him. And what happens when some people hear these harsh teachings, this truth? John 6.66 tells us, From that moment, many of disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. It's probably one of the saddest verses in the world, in the entirety of the Bible that they didn't like his teaching, so they walked away. He wasn't the savior that they wanted. They wanted him to feed them, to save them from Rome, to perform more miracles. But Jesus said, this is what I came for, to make you alive, to save your soul. You see, Jesus is an accessory to our lives. If you are a true disciple, you won't treat him like just a segment of your life. You will submit to him as Lord over your life meaning that he rules and he reigns over all of your life, regardless of the hard things that Jesus says. So the question is, are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to listen to him? Are you ready to submit to him, or are you going to walk away? Are you going to depart? And that's the question that Jesus asks those who are still with him. After some had walked away, he looks at his 12 and he asks them in verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. Here we see a picture of true disciples and a picture of a false one following as well. Jesus turns to the remaining 12 disciples and asks them, or do you want to leave too? But Jesus knows their hearts, and he knows their minds. So he's not asking for his sake. He's asking for theirs. Are you ready? Are you ready to follow? Are they ready to follow Jesus anywhere he goes? Jesus knows that he is well-known in the area, but he also knows that he isn't well-liked. And those who associate him are not going to be liked as well. He knows that the road ahead of them is going to be long and it's going to be painful. He knows the end game. He knows that the cross is coming. He knows that difficulty is approaching and he wants to know, are they ready? Are they willing? And are they able to follow after him? And we give Peter a lot of flack. Peter's kind of like a punching bag a lot in our, in our uh, Sunday school classes and stuff. But we see here that Peter is the one disciple that, that gets it right now. Most of the time he gets it wrong, but right now he gets it right. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now this confession is similar and parallel to, but not exactly the same as Peter's confessions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered a similar question. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Mark 8, 29 he says, but you, he asked them, who do you, this is Jesus, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Luke 9.20, but you, this is Jesus again, he asked them, who do you say I am? Peter's answer, God's Messiah. 
And when Jesus looks at him here in John, he says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knows the reality. He has come to believe and he knows that he is the Holy One of God. They have nowhere else to turn. They have no hope outside of Jesus. There are no other places, no other beliefs, no other people that satisfy our soul. There are no good alternatives to Jesus. So where do some people turn to avoid Jesus because of his hard teachings? Well, the atheist. The atheist, they believe there's no God and therefore there is only this life. So they want to make the best of this life right now. And they usually end up empty because the things of this world, whether it be money, morals, relationships, they will never give life and they will never give hope. People turn to different religions. They search for life and hope and dedicate themselves to religious activities, spiritual practices that are hollow and dangerous. They're being fed over to things that aren't true. There are a myriad of places that you can turn to, but there is only one person who you can turn to who will give you hope and life, and his name is Jesus. We look at earlier what it means to be a false disciple, and simply put, that means that you want Jesus and what he can do, and not Jesus and who he is. So in order to be a true disciple, we have to want what Jesus who Jesus is. We want to want who Jesus is. We need to know who Jesus is. So how do we know who Jesus is? Well, first, we need to know that he is the word of God and that he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. And this may be a simple point. And you may be rolling your eyes and go, Josh, we get it. We have to, we have to know the Bible. We have to read the Bible. But listen, one of the things that I've noticed in my, my years of study and my years of being a pastor is that there are several people in our churches, more people than not in our churches, who are ignorant to what the Word of God says. That they don't know what the Word of God says. They don't know how to properly read it. They come to church once a week and they think that's enough to get them through. They come and have one meal and they're like, oh, that's enough. Let me tell you, the scriptures are so in-depth. They are so amazing that you could dive in them for 70 years and never get to the depths of them. And coming on Sunday morning is good, and it's right, but it's not. The point of worship is not to come here. The point of living a life after Christ is not to come here at church. It's to be the church out there. And the only way you know how to, to do that is by being in his word. And I will, I will admit that most of the fault of people being ignorant with the, the scriptures is the fault of the local church. That we're not training people how to study and read the word of God. We're not giving them a desire. Rather than, than preaching the word of God on Sunday mornings and, and teaching the word of God throughout the week, rather than doing that, we're just giving hype sermons. We've, we're no longer pastors and preachers, but we're, we're um, motivational speakers. And that's been a big problem in our churches. Because it's not that we want what God has told us, but we want what the preacher is saying to make us feel good, to make us feel right. But here's the thing. The only thing that's going to satisfy you, the only thing that's going to fulfill you is knowing what God has said. The only way to protect yourself is by knowing what God has said. 
And the only way to do that is to read and to study and to be a part of it. Be a part of the reading and understanding the Word of God. Because there is life in the words of Jesus. There's life in the words of Scripture. And don't you want to be where life can be found? Now here's a little bit of a selfish plug. We have opportunities here at the church for you to read and study and understand the Word of God. Sunday school is available Sunday morning starting at 9.45 to 10-ish. Whenever you show up, we'll be here, right? We have a Wednesday night Bible study that's available for you at 6.30 to come and, and study the Word of God with us. And guess what, guys? Here's the good news. I don't charge for those classes yet, right? Um, and then also there's a new women's Bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings at 9.30. But here's the thing. Like, the church isn't the only place you can or you should come to grow in your faith. There are lots of resources outside of the church that will help you grow in your faith. There are a lot of Bible studies in the towns around here and in, the, in town here that will help you grow in your faith. You need to understand and know the Word of God. For the Christian, the Bible is a lifeblood. Knowing the Word of God is a lifeblood. But now hear me well. Studying and memorizing and reading your Bible is not going to save you. But it will train you and it will equip you and it will bless you if you take time to read it and study it. It will also challenge you, right? The scriptures, the word of God, there's power in them. There's power of salvation and life in them. And it's exciting to me when I talk to people who are consumed with the word of God, where they spend their daily commutes listening to scripture, when they come and they ask questions about what they have read. But here's another great reason to know and study God's word. It will keep us from digesting all the mess that's outside. It will protect us from wrong teaching. It will keep you close to Jesus. Jesus says later in John chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. We must continue. We must remain. We must abide. We must dwell in his word. And that's where we're going to find life. That's where we place our hope. And you, I want you to know, it's okay not to have all the right answers. It's okay not to know everything about Scripture. In fact, if you came with us on Wednesday night, you would know that we came to a passage that was a little confusing, and there was a lot being said. And I said from the beginning, I don't understand most of what's going on here. Here are some options, right? It's okay not to know. It's okay to rest in the mystery. But we trust God in that. We know that we can take God's word seriously because he takes his word seriously. Jesus has the words of eternal life. But what else did Peter say? He said, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This believing is not simply an acknowledgement, but a trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. We know that he is the one and only way to salvation. And we trust that if we have been given to him as a gift the Father of the Father, then he will hold us secure. He is the king of kings kings that now calls us his own. We have been made alive through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one, holy one of God. This is an interesting phrase. It's not used most and much in the, Old, or in the New Testament. But the holy one only ever refers to God in the Old Testament. And here Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is the holy one. Jesus is God Almighty. He, he is the word that put on flesh and dwelt among us. He is the promised one of old that come to save his people. And then John and Jesus do this thing 
they put this phrase in here right at the end of this little segment. It says this, Jesus says, Didn't I choose you the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, who was one of the twelve, who was one of, one of the twelve because he was going to betray him. Why here does Jesus reveal that one of the twelve is going to choose to betray him? Why at this point? Well, I think that because he's contrasting that even a false disciple will stay with Jesus until he betrays him. Jesus wants us to know that he's not unaware of what's going to happen. He chose these twelve. And in choosing them, he knew that one of them would betray him. He knew the moment he chose Judas to follow him that he was going to give him over. So even though Judas followed Jesus for three years, he still was not a true disciple. Secondly, Jesus is never surprised when someone follows him and ends up walking away. We can all play a part, that part if we want to, but only a true disciple will stand the test of time. Only true disciples will abide in Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus will never be, again, a fake-it-till-you-make-it activity. True disciples are called by the Father, secured by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We know that even in this passage, there is purpose in all that God does. We may not understand it. We may not even like it, but we must trust Him. You see, the mission of Jesus was not to come and make people who will come and work to a worship service and worship Him once a week. The mission of Jesus was to come and transform those who will trust Him and follow Him anywhere. He didn't die to make worship service attenders. He died to save and make disciples. And we cheapen what it means to be a follower of Jesus when we simply make it about how often we go to church, how much money we give, etc., etc., etc. We are called to live lives devoted to Him and His mission. We are called to be His hands and feet. We are called to have an impact on the world around us, in our communities and in our workplaces and in our homes. We are saved by Jesus not simply to get out of hell, but to make a difference in the world by living out a life devoted to Jesus. We are to be replicating Jesus' mission wherever we go. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells us this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, as followers of Jesus, are to be about making disciples, about teaching them, about training them, about helping them to make more disciples. This is our calling if we are true followers of Jesus. If we are his true disciples, then that's what we should be doing. So here's where we are this morning. The question is, are you a true disciple or a false one? Are you a fair-weathered disciple or a die-hard disciple? I can't answer that question for you. But are you willing to give up everything and follow Jesus? Or do you simply only love Jesus because of what he can do and not who he is? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And I pray, Lord, as we enter into this time of reflection, singing some songs and thinking about who you are and what you've done, Lord, that we would reflect on our lives, on how committed we are to you. Lord, again, I pray if there are no if there are people in here who are not true disciples of yours, but they're just playing the game, 
that they would turn their lives over to you, that they would submit to you, that they would acknowledge who you are and what you've done, and that you are more gracious and glorious than we could ever imagine. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to... Thanks for listening. To find out more information about our church and ministries, visit fbclouise.com.